Welcome back to Bite Size Sports. We've got just a full slate of news. Let's start right off with the Bucks and Celtics game. The Bucks won their 11th straight last night on the back of a 40-point outing from the all-star himself, Drew Holiday. Now, it should be noted that Boston was missing not only Jason Tatum, but also Jalen Brown. And they held their own. This game went to overtime, and Derek White led the way with 27 points. Now, the big question here, which almost cost Milwaukee this game, with about three seconds left in regulation, the Celtics had the ball side out, and Milwaukee, as Mike Budenholzer is known to not do, uh, Milwaukee did not foul any Boston Celtic upon the inbound. Now, of course, this would have extended the game. It would have required that Milwaukee would have to inbound the ball one more time and likely shoot two more free throws. And then Boston probably gets maybe a half-court, three-quarter court heave to try to tie it. But they chose not to do that. One of the teams in the league, as Stan Van Gundy pointed out, that don't do this very often. Now, that did not pay off for Milwaukee this time as Sam Hauser drilled a nasty fall away three-pointer and just beautiful shot look that one up if you haven't seen it but this begs the question should Milwaukee change this strategy I know as the team who is down by three back in my playing days I absolutely hated that move but when we were up three, I loved it because it's a smart thing to do and it's how you win games. And as much as <laughs> as much as uh, as a consumer, we may not like it. And, and I laugh because we're going to talk a little bit about this in regards to the Super Bowl coming up because I finally had some time to sit on that ending and, and come to essentially the same resolution that we're talking about now, which is it it's the right way. It's, it's the right ending. I know it's boring. It's, I'm much happier to have seen Sam Hauser drill that three and go into overtime where Milwaukee really uh, outlasted Boston, mainly because Boston just kind of became the Derek White show. It was working a lot. I mean, he led the team with 27 points, and they were switching under screens on Derek White, which were leaving him really nice three-point looks that he was taking but I, I felt that the ball stopped moving there a little bit at the end of overtime or down the stretch of overtime as it were and I think that cost Boston in the long run but they should be very uh, happy with this as happy as you can be with an overtime loss because this would have been a huge loss for Milwaukee even though they had won 10 straight to fall to Boston without their two best players that would have been crucial but for Boston to just, or to for Boston to hang in there, and for Milwaukee to just barely beat this Boston team, even though they've won 11 straight, I don't think this win means as much to Milwaukee as it could have meant to Boston, and vice versa. I don't think the loss means as much to the Celtics as it would have to Milwaukee. So, nevertheless, it was a fun and exciting game, which was followed by another one that was very entertaining, although not quite as close. The Los Angeles Clippers. <laughs> helped the Golden State Warriors uh, improve their away record to 7-22. and Now, folks, 
going into the night, Golden State was 7-21. and 21. That's a 25% winning percentage for those of you at home. It is also the third worst winning percentage on the road for any defending champion in NBA history. Sorry, I read that one slow because it you kind of... It takes some, that's a cool stat, bro, if there ever was one, right? Like, it takes in some pretty, very specific stat you got there, guys. But I say that to say to all of you that Draymond has said after the trade deadline that this is the Dubs Invitational, and it still goes through Golden State. Now, I don't disagree with that. Technically, they're the defending champions, let alone the defending Western Conference champions. So, yes, technically it goes through them. But to infer that they are still the favorites when they're hanging on for dear life in the nine seed right now. Yes, there's no Steph Curry last night. Uh, didn't really didn't really matter, I don't think. I mean, I, it's tough to say that. The Clippers won by 10 and. Uh, logic dictates that Steph Curry would score more than 10 points if he were out there and he were healthy. But the way Golden State was playing defense, or not, honestly the way neither team played any defense, I don't know that this game plays out much differently. Kawhi Leonard was on fire, 33 points. He hit some ridiculous shots over Draymond. And to Draymond's credit, he uh, got into his bag. I don't know where he found that bag. I don't know if he you know, had to take the subway one of these days and just found a bag under his seat. But he got into that bag last night and had a couple of offensive moves that will make you believe you're living in a simulation if you haven't seen them yet. But Golden State is the secondary story to me personally in this Warriors-Clippers game. What I saw last night from that L.A. Clippers team is a team that, when healthy, could compete with any team in the league. And they may not be done yet. They may be adding more to this roster, and that more may be in the shape of Russell Westbrook, which could be concerning. I can hear some of you already, no, please, no, don't. However, Paul George has been a big advocate for this move. For those of you who may be fuzzy on the history of it a bit, Paul George's best seasons came playing with Russell Westbrook, so as a guy who has taken up the de facto point guard role at times, Paul George would much prefer to have Russell Westbrook around to lean on, at least in some stretches. I believe he's still going to come off the bench. Hopefully he still embraces that role. I doubt he would have to relearn that lesson. I'm sure Russell's, whatever team he joins, he's going to look to uh, just have the most positive impact that he can. So looking at what the Clippers have already done, though, even without that addition, I, I, I think they'd want one more primary ball handler on this team. There's got to be at least one of these buyout point guards that they can get to. It won't be Reggie Jackson, which we'll talk about shortly. But of course, I mean, what were the odds that they were going to bring him back anyway? So we have Eric Gordon, Bones Highland, and Mason Plumley all playing last night. And I, the future with this team could be bright, the, including the immediate future. This Clippers team, I think, is finally looking like the team that I personally have been waiting to see. And a, a lot of that is the injuries, which, of course, is the biggest concern here. Can these guys stay healthy? But I think at that point, that's going to be the only concern. I would not be worried about the addition of Russell Westbrook to this roster. I think they have a ton of talent. 
Uh, they've got Zubots up there. He played <laughs> played pretty well last night. And just they have a ton of talent on the wings. Like I said, they do need that primary ball handler, but Terrence Mann has been serviceable in the role. Bones Highland, I think, is going to have similar limitations. Like I, I don't know that Bones is – a true point guard right now, but he'll bring that same kind of energy. Uh, he, I mean, he did that last night, made some some plays on the defensive end. He hit some open threes. He's going to play with a ton of energy. And, of course, they still have guys like Kawhi and Paul George, who, of course, can run the offense if it's needed. But I, I do, at this point, root for maybe Russell. I've also heard Russell to the Bulls. Somebody out there, there's going to be some – journeyman ball handler that I think LA could add like let's not forget that Norman Powell played very well last night this Clippers team is stacked that second unit might be we'll, we'll look into it and look into a little deeper but that might be the best second unit in basketball now and if they add one more point guard they add another buyout candidate it could very well be the best bench unit in basketball so let me know what do you think are the Clippers poised now for a run Golden State is at ninth. Do you think they are going to make a push? And then Sacramento last night lost to Phoenix. Phoenix without Kevin Durant still, but Devin Booker had 32 points. Darren Fox, congratulations. The All-Star, 35 points. Sacramento is the team that continues to get very little credit, if any, on the NBA uh, TNT's post-game show last night. They were kind of scoffing at the idea that the Kings could be a title contender. I would agree with what I believe Jamal Crawford said, which is that Sacramento Kings are absolutely a playoff threat. They should be a team that I wouldn't necessarily want to play in a first-round matchup. I, they are they are pretty young. I, I understand the hesitancy to say, hey, these guys are getting anywhere close to the NBA Finals, but we've seen these young teams who are a year ahead, we've seen them get to a Western Conference Finals at least. So who's to say? And I, for one, will never be rooting against the Sacramento Kings for making a run. I still remember those early 2000s teams and and just for for the sake of all of us, you know, let's let's have another good Kings run in the next couple of years. Please, the NBA needs it. Let's wrap up quickly the rest of the NBA schedule before we move on into some other segments here. So Orlando lost at Toronto by 10, 123 to 113. Jakob Podol the high score, 30 points for Toronto. Now, if you follow along with us over at Stadium Rant on the bounce every Thursday, you know that James and I were questioning whether or not that move was enough. Obviously, the thought behind the Bulls and the Raptors, two teams we expected to sell at the trade deadline. The reason that they didn't, of course, was the Brooklyn trade. I cannot wait to get into the Brooklyn trade. I actually... I think I like their future now. By no means should we not consider that one of the biggest failures by an NBA front office in history. The what when you look at it all together, of course it's a failure, but considering what they had to go through, I and you've got Cam Johnson, Mikel Bridges, Spencer Dinwiddie, this this Brooklyn team could very well still be a low seeded playoff team or very very least should be in the play and in the east. So 
However, it made Toronto and Chicago confident enough that, hey, that's one of the top four. That's that's one of the top four seeds in the East that is now down. They're not going to be in that top four. Let's make a run instead. So Jakob Podol with 30 points very quickly making an effort to prove us wrong over at the bounce. Wendell Carter Jr. led the Orlando Magic with 26 points. And now this is another thing we've talked about a lot on the bounce. You maybe heard it here. But I got a text from James earlier this week stating that Orlando may have the best young core. We've talked about this uh, at at length. Uh, There's a few teams out there right now. It would be very fun if you're looking to find an NBA team to invest in. If you don't quite have a team, look at teams like Orlando. They're going to they're going to have a bright future. Oklahoma City, Detroit. My brother is a Detroit Pistons fan. I'm very uh, has as happy for him as a Pacers fan can be. Let's just put it that way. Lots of exciting young talent on those rosters. But But Orlando has really stockpiled. Because of some trades and because of some injuries, they, they just have a ton of talent there. So look out, I hope. Talk, we talked a little bit about NBA history a little bit ago on that last beast there, talking about the Kings. And run that back when thinking about Orlando. You know, you got the Shaq Penny teams, you got the Dwight Howard, Richard Lewis, Hidu Turkaloo teams, <sighs> Jameer Nelson, remember that guy? Oh, man, uh, this Orlando, I, I would love to see it. You know, they. They, they've gotten close a couple of times, so I would be happy to see an iteration of the Orlando Magic that gets to keep their solid young core and build upon it. But let's move through the last game of the night. The only game we haven't discussed much was the Washington Wizards playing at Portland. They took down the hometown Blazers by 25 points. 20, 126 to 101. Forgive me if you can hear the uh, the neighbor's dog needs needs to be let in. So uh, <laughs> moving right along, that's a perfect time for us to segue into our next segment. So let's talk about the Super Bowl. Can we talk about the Super Bowl, Mac? I've been trying to talk to you about the Super Bowl for hours. The Super Bowl did not end the way any of us would have liked, did it? Except for, I guess, Chiefs fans. They don't probably care so much, but it was a deflating end to the game. However, it does seem to be the correct call, according to Bradbury himself, in a potential falling-on-the-sword moment, but nonetheless... The game is over. It is what it is. The Chiefs have won. Congratulations. But yesterday, on Valentine's Day, some funny, to some extent, uh, football-related Valentines were created. And one of them was shared by Juju Smith-Schuster. And it was a photo of Bradbury saying, I'll hold you when it matters most. Now that, as you can imagine, went over like a lead balloon with some of the Philly players. I believe Darius Slay said you're doing too much. LeGarrette Blunt, former player, went to football reference and found his stats and quoted his stats back to him. It's one of the best knockouts I've seen from LeGarrette since his Oregon days. Look that one up, young fans. And A.J. Brown had quite a lot to say as well. And then when Patrick Mahomes tweeted that someone was bored 
AJ Brown uh, tweeted something else that got deleted. The whole thing was very drama filled. A lot of drama between the Chiefs and the Eagles over Juju Smith Schuster posting this meme. How do you feel about it? I personally can understand people getting frustrated. It's not a joke I would have made in that position because I, I don't think you someone you getting a penalty drawn on you is not something to brag about. It's not like dunking on somebody. It's not like Jarek McKinnon making that big play and having the wherewithal to slide at the one-yard line, which, again, it it's a common play. It's what everyone's taught. He, he did what he was supposed to do, but I think credit should still be given. But this was not a move I would make. However, I don't really have a problem with it, and I think it's something you have to deal with when you're a wide receiver or a corner. These guys on both sides have to have short memories. They have to say it with their chest a lot, and a lot of the antics can rub people the wrong way, especially us salt-of-the-earth folk that just go in, put in our 40 hours of work, and we see somebody get lucky, uh, and then they do the incomplete dance, and you get those... You know, they get those guys at the bar just rolling their eyes. Like, why is he acting like he did anything? He didn't do anything. But, you know, these guys have to keep their ego fed in order to make these plays, in order to go out and be who they need to be. Now, to go out on Twitter and do it, I think it's kind of soft, but it's not that big of a deal. I think what makes it more irritating for folks is – the fact that, I mean, and A.J. Brown, I believe, called him TikTok boy. Uh, but the fact that Juju has a bit of a reputation for goofing off, I guess, and maybe not taking everything as seriously as some of his cohorts. But I think this is just an example of what happens when people spend too much time on Twitter. Uh, I mean, we could and and do cover <laughs> Sports Twitter beefs as much as we can on the wild world of sports. Look for those late night Wednesday streams. But this one just kind of cracked me up, and I wanted to get your thoughts on it because we have not only a game ending on a controversial play like that, the controversial call, but then we have a player rubbing salt in the wound, and it's as much of a rivalry now. We already had Andy Reid going against the team that let him go and, and winning. It seems like uh, it it would be difficult to have a rivalry across conferences, but if there was ever going to be one, this might be it. We might be building towards it. So, uh, meanwhile, Eric Bieniemy unfortunately is unable to get a coaching job, a head coaching job anywhere, which will lead us into our next segment. Well, in the last segment, we talked about head coaching candidates and Twitter. So. Surprise, that's what we're talking about again. The Indianapolis Colts have named Shane Steichen, their head coach, former Eagles offensive coordinator. Personally, I'm okay with this decision as a Colts fan. He was in my top two. I I kept waffling on Raheem Morris. Raheem Morris was my lead candidate throughout the majority of this search, but the more I took a dive into the statistics of the defensive units that he led, I started to waver in my confidence. And and now that we have Steichen there in Indianapolis, if if Gus Bradley stays on, I think that's a pretty good staff. I have to admit, hiring 
an Eagles offensive coordinator off the back of a Super Bowl run to replace the former Eagles offensive coordinator that we hired on the back of his Super Bowl run. Feels a little matrixy. I don't really love it, but uh, it's what's happened, and so we're here for it. We're gonna we're gonna fight on. We're gonna support the squad, but that's not what this particular part of the conversation is about because Greg Doyle of the Indianapolis Star wrote a wrote an article that at least the headlines and the tweet that he posted around it, it drew the ire of many because he has called coach Shane Steichen soft for the display of emotion that he had in his gratitude when joining the team. Now a lot of people have taken this uh, to heart, very negative response on Twitter. A lot of people saying that Greg Doyle is the reason that they quit subscribing. It was a dollar seventy-five a month, and and people are so angry at this guy over the years uh, that they they don't want to pay anymore to read anyone else's content. So, Greg Doyle not making any fans in Indianapolis—that's nothing new, really. But I do think that this take was in in poor taste and it sounds like I, d- I didn't listen to the question that will be coming up on our wild world of sports episode so we'll have the clip he asked a, a, a potentially a, a bad question to the coach as well that people are busting him for so check out that article if you want I don't even really feel like promoting it uh, but uh, we do need to be fair and also balanced so make your own judgment on that but I would say calling any man soft for showing his emotion, especially in the world of sports where it's done. Again, we just talked about this uh, in a different context in our last segment. Uh, I, I don't think it's right for any journalist to call out uh, these, these men and women who display emotion when they're on the spot. You know, Greg had plenty of time to think about his article, to write it down. You know, I always have plenty of time to record these things. When we're not live, you can edit. It's it's real easy to collect yourself, get your thoughts out there, and then call someone else out who didn't have the same opportunity to collect themselves on the spot. And, and in what world is it a negative thing? Is it soft to show appreciation uh, for and be grateful for an opportunity? So I'll just leave that there. That Those are my thoughts on the Greg Doyle situation I do not uh, I do not stand by any of his statements as they regard or relate to the new Colts head coach. Now, we'll pivot to another former Eagles coordinator who is now the head coach of the Arizona Cardinals. Speaking of the wild world of sports, we will see a very real and not at all staged video of the coach meeting Kyler Murray in the weight room. We'll look at that. Very authentic. Very nice. Very good. But that leads me to a question. What does Eric Benemy have to do to become a head coach? Because that's the guy who, on Saturday watching film, caught a very bad tendency by the Eagles' defense to overcommit to jet sweeps, which led to the walk-in touchdowns that we saw the Chiefs accomplish, and I maybe correct me if I'm wrong, it may, may have even been the same thing on the McKinnon play. I can't remember, but you can see the film. We will look at some of this again later, but just to describe it to you, the Eagles were, when in man coverage, 
they were transferring uh, coverages when someone was going into a jet sweep. So someone going into motion, the corner would point back to the safety, the safety would rotate over, and someone else on the other side of the field is now taking that man. So what would happen is the Jets very, or the Jets, the Chiefs very, very simply call for a jet sweep or for some motion. The, the Eagles go into their set, they make their rotation, and then the ball is snapped before uh, the receiver even gets to the center. And then now that original, that right or left side, whatever side the motion man began in, that's now wide open because everybody's already transferred. The safety is now got to come back, and, and he's not going to get there in time. And we saw the Chiefs run that and just it won them the Super Bowl. And yet, uh, Eric Bieniemy does not get a head coaching job. Both Eagles coordinators do. I don't know what there is. Is there something out there? Is there something outside of football that is keeping this man from getting this opportunity? Uh, I've seen a lot of people say he'll need to leave Andy Reid's coaching staff in order to ever get a job, or he'll just have to wait out Andy Reid in hopes that he can take that Chiefs job when Andy retires. But Andy himself has said that EB does call plays. He does not only physically call the plays, but he can give his suggestions. And if he puts something in there, Andy Reid, from his own mouth, has said he doesn't contradict EB. He lets him roll. He lets him run what he wants to run. So I don't know what these other teams need to see. So let me know in the comments what what you need to see. Why why is it that Eric Bieniemy does not have a job? I would love to know. So let's get back to the NBA. So we'll be back to the NBA in just a moment. All right, Hoopheads, we will end the show with this. Reggie Jackson has agreed to terms to join the Denver Nuggets. Is this a big addition in your book? Does this move the needle for you? It's certainly a helpful addition when they got rid of Bones Highland. I think we all know the thought process there. I don't think anyone questions how good Bones can be and will be in the future. The potential is there, but the Nuggets are making a run. This team is ready to win now. They made the trade that they needed to make, and now they are replacing some depth. And, and they're getting a veteran in the backcourt, someone that can replace Jamal Murray in short stints. Obviously, you're not going to get the same production, but you will get the same type of offensive-minded playmaker, shot creator, so I think Reggie Jackson really only bolsters what the Nuggets are doing. Now, everyone in the West almost made a big move, so it's not going to be easy by any means for the Nuggets to stay on top, especially with the Suns now having Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, and a Chris Paul who happened to have 19 assists last night against Sacramento. I know we missed that in the earlier segment, but here it is. Phoenix could be right there, but I think that everyone is jumping the gun a little bit by naming the Phoenix Suns the favorites out west. And and while we won't get into all of those details now, let me just end the episode here. I think that the Western Conference, despite what Draymond Green may think, has to run through Denver this year. And we will talk about that in an upcoming episode. We'll see you then. Thank you so much for listening to Bite Size Sports. If you liked what you heard, 
please consider giving us a like, maybe subscribe, or even share to your friends and family. You have no idea how much that helps the channel, and we greatly appreciate it. If you want to stay in touch with us and be notified of all our new posts, I suggest you follow us on Twitter, at Bite Size Sports. There is an underscore between Bite and Size. You can also find us on Instagram and TikTok, where we have some of our shorts, some of our reels. Hope to see you there, and once again, Thank you so much for listening.